This is Chris. Welcome to episode 337 of X-Lapsed, where we're going to take a page out of uh, Marvel's playbook here. You see, um, if it's okay for them to repackage their old material, then why in the world can't I? Hmm. Today, we are compiling four episodes of X-Lapsed, uh, during which we talked about the first four, uh, I guess we call them uh, digital chapters? I don't know what we call them, but uh, it's X-Men Unlimited. The first four chapters of the Marvel uh, Unlimited, X-Men Unlimited, the Infinity comic. That's what we're talking about here. Now, for whatever reason, Marvel actually released a uh, physical package of these first four chapters here. This is X-Men Unlimited Latitude number one. Now, this came back in a May 2022 cover date. The story is called Latitude, uh, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Declan Shalvey. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino, designs, Tom Muller, edits, Amaro White, Sabalski, cover price, $5.99. Mm. <laughs> and this one went on sale March 16th of 2022. Now, this supposedly had new content included. Um, I couldn't find it. <laughs> um, I, I did see that they added a double-page spread of roll call and cred, and uh, our only character is, is Wolverine. There's also an info page by uh, editor Jordan White um, where he threatens us with X-Men Green, which is getting a physical uh, version in May. So this month, this month we're getting it. He also runs down uh, everything that's happened so far in the uh, Marvel Infinity, or Marvel Unlimited Infinity comic version of X-Men Unlimited. He says the follow-up to Latitude has already been published uh, on Marvel Unlimited, so if anybody wants to know how this winds up right away, they can, you know... Subscribe and find out. He also misspells Fabian Nicias' name. But with all that having been said, I think I've already added more new content to this episode than Marvel did the Latitude story. So um, I should probably put a pin in it for now and send it right over to me from January 2022. I hope you enjoy. And, uh, and well, even if a Wolverine story isn't what you're looking for today, there are four installments of... Jeff the Landshark in It's Jeff included in these episodes as well. So hopefully a little something for everybody in these uh, in these upcoming segments. But um, that's where I'll stop it now. Thank you all so much for joining me in this uh, peculiar little episode. Uh, next time out, we'll be wrapping up the X-Lives of Wolverine. I'll talk to you then. <laughs> Find yourself in another part of the world And you may find yourself
Buddy, this is Chris. Welcome to episode 243 of X-Lapsed, and it's a, uh, well, it's a surprise episode. I was not expecting to do this one, uh, especially not today. Uh, the book we're going to discuss, or the, I guess we can't even call it a book, the uh, story we're going to discuss is one that I already had penciled in for episode 250 of this program, um, thinking that this uh, new Marvel Infinity book was going to be monthly. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about here, uh, Marvel Unlimited just did a huge overhaul, or a, I guess, update, where they introduced a whole new section of the app, and it's these Infinity Comics. They're, uh, you know, first-run exclusives to uh, Marvel Unlimited, and they're, uh, for now at least, they're free with your subscription. So these are free stories we're getting, a nice little incentive for folks who might be on the fence about whether or not to come over to Marvel Unlimited, uh... If you want to keep up with everything, you know, this is definitely with an eye toward uh, several different uh, fan bases here, which is a smart move. Um, this is something for the completionists, for sure. Folks like like me and probably a lot of the folks listening right now, where you got to just know everything. you got to be a part of everything, and you want to, I don't know, you want to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. Also, for some fans who may be a little bit more on the fringes, you know, ones who may not be terribly interested in the X-Men, well, here's a free story, you know, give it a shot. If, I mean, free with your subscription, of course. And the way in which they're being released onto the app uh, reminds me a lot of uh, a proven winning formula, and that's the formula of manga. Fans of manga know that uh, over in Japan, and even in the United States for a little while, we got, uh, you know, Shonen Jump magazine, or there's a whole bunch of uh, weekly anthology uh, manga magazines that give you a little bit of a story every week, and you work your way through it, and you have a wide array of, uh, of genre, style, just to, well, actually, they usually similarly genred, because, you know, they want you to enjoy the whole thing, and you might not want a... Uh, you might not want a shoujo if you're a shonen fan, and vice versa. But here, with Marvel Unlimited, they're giving us the opportunity to sample a whole bunch of things with promises that these are going to come out every single week. And the fact that they are coming out every single week is the reason why I'm doing this episode today. Because uh, I assumed that while Marvel said that they were going to put new things out every week... I didn't figure they'd be putting new installments of everything out every week. So I thought maybe we'd get one or maybe two of these X-Men installments, uh, the X-Men Unlimited installments, uh, per month. So I figured, okay, that's one, maybe two extra episodes a month. Yeah, no big deal, right? Well, no, it's uh, it's weekly. <laughs> so that is uh, four to five extra episodes a month. So uh, it looks like I'm working Sundays again. Especially if I don't want to cut too deeply into our Essential X-Lapsed run, which I really don't want to do because I'm uh, having a lot of fun revisiting the Silver Age stuff, uh, you know, in addition to doing the current year stuff. So I figured this might be the uh, the happy medium there, just handling the uh, Unlimited books on Sundays. At least, you know, for now. I mean, who knows how long this will run? Who knows what the future holds? So uh, we'll just play it by ear. Now, before we get into the story here, a little bit about X-Men Unlimited. Uh, listeners to this show know that I've been advocating for the return of X-Men Unlimited for quite a while now. I think that the uh, current Krakoan age is just 
rife with opportunities to explore, you know, uh, unseen corners of Krakoa and of mutantdom. You know, f- s- seldomly seen characters and maybe some forgotten story beats could be addressed in an X-Men Unlimited. I also thought that uh, some of the ongoings that we have right now, or maybe even miniseries, while having good ideas and maybe a bit of a reason to exist, just don't have the... I don't know, oomph, to uh, carry its own uh, its own title, even if it's only for five or six issues. And I'm, of course, thinking about things like X-Corp, Children of the Atom, even going back to uh, Fallen Angels. So I think those are books that don't need to be books, right? Those are books that could be a short thing in an X-Men Unlimited, and I think that would be perfectly fine, and it wouldn't, it wouldn't overstay its welcome, which is why I was advocating for the return of an anthology book like this. Also, I mean, we've talked about several anthologies during the uh, the run of this show. The Marvel's Voices stuff, the Women of Marvel stuff. Things that I think might get more eyes had they been branded as X-Men Unlimited. Of course, I'm talking about the X-Men-centric stories in those anthologies. It would make them feel like they were more a part of the ongoing narrative. And for lack of a better term, make them feel like they, they mattered more in the context of what's going on in the comics now. And that's not exactly what we're getting here. That's not at all what we're getting here, actually. This is going to be a story featuring Wolverine, of all people. But uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more on the other end. And, uh, you know, one more thing before we do get into it here. I just want to caution people that, uh, I mean, this is going to be a spoilery synopsis. I usually try not to cover books, like, right after they come out. You know, I'm not that kind of show. I'm not in this to say that I was first. I'm not here to ruin anybody's reading experience. So if you haven't read this story and you are interested in doing so, maybe go do that. I I don't want to ruin this for you guys, because while there isn't much to the story, reading it is kind of an experience. And, And we'll talk about that as well on the other end. But how about we just get into it? Now, this is X-Men Unlimited, I guess we can call it Volume 3, Number 1. Written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Declan Shalvey. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino. Edits, Bisa white Sabolsky. This appeared on the app September 9th, 2021, although every time I look at the app, they change the date. Uh, it was September 9th, then it was September 2nd, and I think right now it shows a September 1st. So, uh, we know that this launched on 9-9, so I'm just going to be uh, safe and say September 9th. Now, we open at the peak, you know, Swords Headquarters. Then, and this is where the gimmick of the uh, Unlimited book comes into play here, we actually scroll. I I did this on my phone. Um, I had mentioned when I started using Unlimited to cover some of the Silver Age stuff that I don't own, that my iPad is rather ancient, and I had to kind of, like, backdoor my way into uh, even getting it to open on it. I had to do, like, the... uh, the thing where you download it on one device, and then, like, on the other, like, it tries to download it, and it can't. It's like, oh, this isn't supported, but do you want to roll back to an old version? And uh, I, you know, crossed my fingers and said yes, and uh, sure enough, I'm able to access the app on the iPad, just not the update with the unlimited stuff. So, I did this on my phone. And the gimmick here is that you, this isn't like traditional sequential art. Like, in as far as panel-to-panel progression of story here, going from, you know, left to right, down, left to right, you know. This is just down. So we scroll for, like, three seconds here, and it's... I mean, while if this were something we paid extra money for, I would think it was a little bit indulgent. But, I mean, it's Declan Shalvey's art here, which is really, really gorgeous. And it's an interesting use of uh, of this new format here. I mean, we're really playing with the language of comics here, and... 
I may not be 100% down with it, but I'm definitely open to it. I'm open to it, and I'm open to see where we go from here. Now, anyway, as we scroll down, we learn that an AIM extraction team, and of course that's AIM, the beekeeper guys, they managed to break in, they swiped something, and they got away. Now, they did this all before the mutants even realized that anything was amiss. And AIM even managed to swipe three mutants, so they got prisoners likely, you know, to perform some sadistic experiments on. And it's left to one man to take care of business, and of course, that one man is Wolverine. Now, he arrives at the peak via Krakoan Gateway, and then he ejects himself from the place, plummeting through space. So we scroll again. Now, he does make sure to introduce himself as we scroll, just in case we're not sure who it is we're looking at. Not only is he Wolverine, but he is also the best there is at what he does. And I tell you, I feel like that's a line that should be on, like, the X-Men writer bingo card. But it's not nearly as irritating as, to me, my X-Men. You know, the best there is is something I can deal with. So Wolverine lands with a thud on the AIM vessel. He peeks into the window, only to see several dozen beekeepers with their firearms pointed right at him. And I don't think it would be wise for any of them to, uh, you know, pull the trigger or anything, considering they'd all be sucked out into space. Well, turns out that's a moot point, because Logan does not waste any time in slicing and dicing his way in, and yeah, the AIM folks are in fact sucked into space. Which makes me think that Wolverine must be here on official X-Force business, so as to avoid that pesky kill-no-man deal. Our hero floats inside the craft, and he makes his way to a computer console. And uh, Wolverine hates computers, by the way. He's going to say that a few times here. And so, like uh, most old people do when confronted with a computer that they don't know how to use, so Wolverine proceeds to punch it a bunch. And the monitor comes alive, and it reveals three locations. One is the Peak, you know, Sword's headquarters. Two is the AIM intrusion vessel, and three is the AIM dreadnought called Paradigm Shift. Now from here, it's not entirely clear. Um, the intrusion vessel either arrives back at the dreadnought or it's leaving the dreadnought. And I mean, hell, I'm not even sure which of these places Wolverine's even at right now. I'm going to assume the dreadnought. Anyway, at this point, the computer screen goes boop, and on the screen appears a digital version of MODOK. And MODOK spells out the mission objectives here. They are to infiltrate Sword Station, to which Logan asks, why would they do that? And MODOK on the screen appears to answer, to acquire specific mutant samples alive for use in Project Tundra. Now, I'm not exactly sure what Project Tundra is, because anytime I type it into Google, it says, did you mean Thundra? And uh, no, I didn't mean Thundra. I assume we'll find out more about this as we work our way through. Now, the secondary objective here is to acquire a dummy mutant sample. It doesn't matter if it's dead or alive, just for some misdirection. Modoc then assures Wolverine that, uh, yeah, he knows he's here, and yes, he's talking directly to him. So, in other words, this is not a recording. Oh, and also, the ship is basically alive. Modoc can control all aspects of it, and he is perfectly willing to sacrifice it, all in the name of science. And so, the self-destruct sequence is initiated. Now, elsewhere in the craft, we see a half-dozen or so AIM beekeepers stood around three canisters containing the kidnapped mutants. We don't actually see who the kidnapped mutants are, like we just see a shadow under, like, a, a thing of glass. Now, Wolverine is working his way through this place, and he manages to happen across these geeks, and he lunges in to make the save, only they shut the door right in his face. Now, you would think that wouldn't be a problem for a Logan, but unfortunately, it's at this point that the self-destruct countdown just hits zero. Bada-bing, bada-boom, Logan hates computers, 
to be continued. Well, it looks like we're not going to have to wait too long to get the next part of this. This definitely evokes uh, the feeling of Marvel Comics Presents from back in the day. This feels like it'd be something perfectly at home in that title here, and that isn't a bad thing at all. Um, thing of it is, uh, this is X-Men Unlimited, and this really isn't what I wanted out of an X-Men Unlimited title. So I can say that, but I can also say that uh, I enjoyed this. You know, I can't say I didn't. Now, this is definitely an interesting way to receive comics, right? You guys know me. I'm very old school when it comes to the way that I read comics here. I want physical media. And, I mean, if this book were to be compiled later on and come out physically, I'd buy it. You know, because that's just the way I am. But as an experiment and as a way to kind of shake things up, I feel like this was a really uh, neat way to do it. And certainly a fun little incentive and exclusive original content to get folks to give Unlimited a shot, right? You know, I mean, Marvel Unlimited, I mean, I don't want to shill for Marvel Unlimited because, frankly, they don't need me to. But they do offer, like, a seven-day free subscription, and I wonder how many folks signed up for it this week. I gotta assume that this was a pretty big week for folks signing on for the very first time with all this exclusive content being made available, and uh, hopefully some of them uh, actually dip into the archives as well and see just what a wealth of uh, Marvel Comics history that's just available right there at your fingertips. It's uh, truly a, a wonderful, a wonderful app. And I think that's where I'll stop plugging a company that wouldn't spit on me if I were on fire. <clears throat> Let's talk about the story. Uh, the art here was definitely the highlight for me. It was simply amazing. Uh, Shalvi is a wicked talent, and I would love to see him take a larger role in the uh, X-Books here. Now, the unlimited gimmick, with the lack of traditional panels and the constant scrolling, it was interesting. You know, uh, definitely not what I would uh, call my you know chosen way of receiving these stories. Though, I mean, it's pretty much the most obvious way to go about uh, about telling a story like this, right? You're on your phone, you're on your tablet, you're scrolling. It's it, it feels it feels very organic, it feels very natural. And you guys know me as a fake ass comics historian, I am always interested when folks try to uh, try to play with the formula, you know, change the accepted language, uh, the way the comic books are, uh, you know, the stories are told. And I can say that even if I'm not 100% on board with the execution as of yet, I do feel like this format definitely has potential, and it certainly has legs. And I do look forward to seeing the bullpen better familiarize themselves with it and uh, maybe push the limits of their storytelling ability with this new format. Now, as for the story itself, it felt it felt safe, right? I mean, you're launching a new endeavor with Wolverine front and center. It doesn't get much safer than that. Uh, I think the only safer bet in comics would be to stick Batman on the cover and maybe dip it in chocolate. You <laughs> know, I think that's the uh, the only safer way. Now, part of me, uh, the cynical part, uh, worries that this will eventually become the same sort of afterthought title that its unlimited predecessors had become after the launch salvo. Now, if you were around in the early '90s when X Men Unlimited launched, you know, the first volume, it did so with a bit of hoopla. You know, it was a pretty big story being told there. It was Magneto coming back. It was an oversized book. It was kind of advertised as like a quarterly annual. And while annuals certainly didn't have the same cachet that they did in the, you know, Bronze Age and into the 80s, it felt like something that you couldn't miss. And also the price was, uh, I think it was like a $4 book, which is kind of, you know, quaint when we think about it today. But back in 1993 or whenever it was, that's, that was a big chunk of change. You know, that was 
a very spendy book. I mean, for four bucks, you could get three ongoing books and still get a quarterback as change back then. So to ask that kind of money is uh, it's pretty big, you know. Now, the volume launch, it was a pretty big deal right out the gate. And immediately, it became an afterthought. You know, there'd be occasional stories that actually tied into what was going on in the X-Books. There was like an Ages of Apocalypse one. Uh, there was the issue where the Dark Beast, you know, it replaced Beast Beast in uh, the mansion. There was that historically awful issue that revealed uh, Nightcrawler's parentage, or at least that his mother was Mystique. And that was a story that was so bad that the writer, Scott Lobdell, uh, signed on to Usenet and made fun of it himself under a pseudonym. So... Yeah, the book became kind of an afterthought after its initial strong launch, and part of me is a little concerned that uh, that this will happen for uh, this unlimited title as well. And of course, I'm probably worrying about something I don't need to. And there is one gigantic difference here. Uh, those were something you had to pay for, right? You had to pay $4 for those books, where if you're already subbed to Unlimited, these are free. And uh, I truly believe that this is the way to do these type of stories, I hope once the Wolverine story is out of the way, maybe we get uh, maybe we get some of those you know unseen corners of Krakoa. Maybe we flesh out the story. I mean, this is an awesome tool to try out new talent. I mean, that was what the Unlimited book ultimately became. Again, we had to pay four dollars for it, so we were getting a story by an unknown creator about a story that was in a vacuum, had nothing to do with what was going on in the main books. Here we have the opportunity to give new creators an opportunity to tell in-continuity or in-current-day continuity stories, and we get to introduce new concepts here. So, I mean, what was that guy, a Somnus? Maybe we give Somnus a short strip here, and then we launch him into a physical book. You know, I think this is a really smart way to float uh, new concepts, new ideas, new characters, new creators. I do see this having a lot of potential, and I definitely look forward to more of it. Um, now let me close out my thoughts uh, being more cynical and <laughs> projecting some uh, worries that probably don't matter. I hope that this doesn't lead to a tiered pricing structure for Marvel Unlimited, like where you can get the classic Marvel Unlimited for the you know standard rate, but if you want the Infinity Comics, you need to pay a couple bucks more a month. I, I hope that's not what we're headed to. And again, I've got no reason to suggest that we are, but... I do know that a lot of these uh, subscription services are adding tiers now. Uh, not not so much in the comic stuff, but I mean things like uh, television streaming services. They come with tiers. You pay more for for more, right? And I hope that doesn't become something Marvel will uh, you know explore down the line. I, I also hope that this doesn't lead to moving more and more titles out of print and into digital, especially after reading what uh, Jonathan Hickman was saying during the lead up to the reveal of X Men Unlimited, where. During the uh, COVID hiatus, he petitioned Marvel to uh, to move all the X-Men books as digital only. And, uh, boy, I, I would not be down with that. <laughs> I certainly would not be down with that. I, I mean, these are all worries that uh, are just things that will keep me awake at night. These are definitely Chris problems. So we'll just set them aside, and we will burn those bridges when we get to them. But uh, that's all I have to say about X-Men Unlimited number one. But uh, we're not done yet. Because, you see, uh, X-Men Unlimited wasn't the only book to come out through this Infinity Initiative. Uh, one of them features one of our very favorite characters, and, uh, well, he's not really X-relevant, but uh, I want to talk about him anyway. It's going to be brief. <laughs> it's going to be very brief, but, uh, of course, I am talking about our friend, Jeff the Landshark, who appears in It's Jeff, number one. Stories called Pool Party, written by Kelly Thompson, with art by Guru Hero. 
Edits Pile Go Whacker Sabalski appeared on the app September 9th, 2021. And it's short. It's very short. There are no words in it, but uh, I mean, it's it's really, really cool. Now we open at a public pool where a bunch of Marvel's heaviest hitters are uh, indulging in a bit of R&R, including the recently arrived Jeff the Landshark. And upon arrival, he's an instant hit. Everybody stops to snap pictures of him, give him a pat on the head here. He's even offered an ice cream cone. I mean, it's it's a very cute scene here, and it reminded me of uh, an experience I had earlier this week. I mentioned on uh, the Essential X Laps that my wife and I went up to the mountains this week. It was just a day trip, uh, you know, two and a half hours up, two and a half hours down, and we spent a few hours up there uh, seeing the sights and hanging around in Old Town, and... Uh, we had breakfast in an owl-themed uh, diner, which was really, really cool. Uh, the largest pancakes I have ever seen in my life. And, uh, you know, when you order pancakes at a restaurant, you don't know what you're going to get, right? If you order a pancake, you might get something the size of a silver dollar, or you might get something the size of your plate. Well, this was one that was, uh, you can order one pancake for like eight bucks, or two for nine. So I'm like, okay, well, that's stupid just to order one, so I ordered two. And these pancakes hung off the side of my plate. They were insane. And they were also very delicious, and they were also like the first carbs I'd had in quite a while at that point. So uh, a long walk around Old Town was exactly what I needed after uh, dropping that bomb inside my belly. So we're walking around Old Town. We came across this, uh, this weird little mall. I mean, it didn't even look like a mall from the outside. It just looked like a building. But uh, we saw... Some interesting, um, like, artisan soaps inside, and, and the wife wanted to look at them. So we went inside and discovered that there were, like, five or six stores in there, including one in the basement. And so we head down to the basement, and at the bottom of the stairs is a uh, decently-sized koi pond with, like, a, maybe a half-dozen koi in it. And I've never been around a koi pond before. I mean, I know what they are, of course, but I've never been really close to one. Turns out that koi are very friendly and social fish. I had no idea. So we're walking around, and the fish are following us, and they're popping up, and they're blowing bubbles at us, and uh, I guess that's their way of saying hello. I, I didn't I didn't know any of that. So there was one in there that was gray, and it instantly reminded me of Jeff the Landshark. And then seeing this panel here, I'm, I, you know, I'm sharing a, a silly story here, but uh, seeing this panel where everybody's kind of patting them on the head here, because I guess koi like to be petted on the head, and I suppose you can pet them on the head. We didn't know that then, otherwise we probably would have petted on the head. But this panel gave me a, uh, a very weird flashback, and, uh, well, that's why I just shared that uh, incredibly interesting story. Anyway, our hero then strips out of his Deadpool Gwenpool floaties, flippers and snorkel, and hops in the pool. And from here, he swims around. And you might be asking, what could possibly go wrong? Well, he's a shark, and he's got a scary old shark fin on his back, and that really seems to freak everybody out, so everybody's out of the pool, shivering on the sidelines here. Jeff pops his head out of the drink and is terribly confused, and that's where we leave it. And I mean, there isn't much to talk about here other than to say, this was wonderful. <laughs> this was so much fun. And again, there's nothing to it. But I mean, and I only have one complaint. The only complaint I have is that it's digital and not print, because I would like to actually hold this in my hands. Maybe somewhere down the line they will release a physical uh, collected edition. I, you know, Fingers crossed that they decide to, because this is... Uh, I mean, the Guru Hero art here is just wonderful. It's perfectly suited to a story like this and a character like this. The story itself comes down to a simple gag, but it's a, it's a gag that has heart. And you guys know me. I am a sucker for the nebulous metric of heart, even though I can't explain exactly what it is. 
But I think that's all I got to say about uh, Jeff the Landshark number one. I believe they released two Jeff the Landshark issues uh, the first day out, but uh, we'll we'll get to them as we as we work our way through here. I don't know if they'll take a week off or if Jeff is a uh, outlier. Maybe he'll only get two stories a month and they'll both be released the same day. We don't know enough about it just yet. And uh, well, frankly, you know me, I stay away from the comics news sites, so this may very well be answered, but uh, I just don't know that answer. So we'll just play it by ear and we'll take them as they come. But I think that's all we got for today. Uh, We could probably assume that future installments of the X-Men Unlimited episodes are going to be more on the short side than a normal episode. This one went a little while because uh, I guess I just talked a lot. (laughs) But uh, I figure we can assume that they're going to be a fair amount shorter. But uh, we'll take them as they come. And as always, we will do our best. But uh, if you have Marvel Unlimited... Definitely give these a shot. There's no reason not to. There uh, is a lot of potential here. I think this could be the start of something fairly exciting, which is not something I ever saw myself saying about uh, digital comics before. So there's that. (laughs) But uh, with all that said, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on these unlimited titles here. If there's uh, any current year X relevant stuff appearing in another one, Hey, let me know, and we'll uh, we'll definitely discuss it. Uh, so, if you'd like to get a hold of me for that or any reason, please feel free to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, including the complete X-Lapsed family of show archives, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. And of course, that is available anywhere the internet aggregates noise and sound. But that'll do it for today. I want to thank you all so much for hanging out with me, even on a Sunday. It really, really means a lot to me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya!
Hey, how's it going? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 245 of x Slams, where it's a, a sort of kind of Sunday special, if you're listening in real time anyway. And we are going to be talking about, uh, let, me, let me see if I can get this all in one breath here, the Marvel Unlimited Infinity Comics X-Men Unlimited. Oof, it's a lot of words to explain a very, very short story. Um, you know, that said, uh, this might just be the shortest episode of this program yet, and I know I say that all the time, and usually when I say that, it leads to like an hour-long episode, but I don't think we got that here today, because uh, decompression, we got it in spades. Uh, this is a very, very quick and breezy story. Not to say that it's bad, and uh, certainly the price is right, but uh, there isn't a whole heck of a lot to it. And again, that's not a, that's not a terrible thing since uh, you know, I was I was actually planning on starting to take weekends off <laughs> after I hit the 1 year mark on the daily podcast train and even though in recent weeks I've been, you know, using the weekend in order to release compilations, you know, things like the collected X laps and the uh, Chris and Reggie total packages, stuff like that. But even that takes time. You know, even that takes a bit of effort to remaster and uh, make sure that the sound is as close to being as, you know, as level as possible. Because, you know, sometimes uh, levels are all over the place, especially in between episodes. So when you're merging things, it's like I would hate to have someone listening on their headphones and then it goes from one episode to the other and it goes from like a four to an eight on the loudness scale. So I try to remaster them. And that does take a little bit of time. But... After I hit the one-year mark, I wasn't even going to do that. I was just going to take time off on the weekends here to uh, recalibrate and maybe get a little bit ahead on my scripting. But then, out of nowhere, X-Men Unlimited is here. And uh, well, that's what we're going to be devoting the weekends to uh, for the next little while. For as long as it's running, for the, as long as it's running weekly, uh, we'll... Uh, We'll try to tackle it every single week as well. Now, uh, with all the pre-ramble out of the way, let's get into it. This is X-Men Unlimited Volume 3, Number 2. No cover date, since there's really no cover, but we'll just say September 2021. Written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Declan Shalvey. Letters, VCs Joe Sabino. Edits, Bisa White-Sabolsky. This one was released, I think, September 12th, 2021, but uh, everything's been backdated on Marvel Unlimited. It's very bizarre, like everything shows as being released on September 2nd. And, I mean, this whole Infinity Comics thing didn't even launch until September 9th. So, I don't know. I don't know. We're, we'll just, uh, I'm, I'm trying to keep track of these things as they come out and just jotting down the, uh, the date that I noticed them appearing on the app to get it as close to accurate as possible. At least, I mean, who cares, really, right? Anyway, let's get into the story. Now, we pick up scrolling down for like five seconds, where we rejoin our hero, who, if you remember, just went boom. Now, the explosion is so massive that it burns Wolverine down to some, like, deep-fried skin. All of his hair is singed off his clothes or, you know, in tatters. Now, he's still able to somehow make it back to the AIM cruiser or base or thing or the place. You know, the place where, where this stuff is going down. Now, at the door, he's confronted by an AIM beekeeper. And as you might imagine, the baddie isn't keen on letting old Wolverine in. Unfortunately for him, Logan's got a master key of sorts. Uh, once letting himself in via his adamantium lockpick, the AIM agent shoots Wolverine point-blank in the face. It should come as no surprise that this doesn't actually do much of anything to slow our man down. Next we know he stood before three different doors, three different elevator shafts. Now, the aimer attempts to attack from behind, and, uh, as you might imagine, it does not go well for him. 
And oh, it's probably worth noting that Wolverine's healing factor has been in overdrive since the explosion, so he's almost back to looking normal here, well, or as normal as he ever looks. Now, he notices a small safe next to the doors, and he asks the aimer for the combination. And he gets it. Now, the thing of it was, Wolverine noted that the safe appeared to be refrigerated 10 degrees cooler than the air outside, and he's got a sneaking suspicion what might be inside, and, well, it's a six-pack of beer. And it's, uh, it's actually Ted's beer. Who's Ted? Well, uh, he's one of the guys that Wolverine facilitated the death of last issue. I mean, I don't want to say he killed Ted, because that might result in a five-part trial miniseries we'll have to cover on the show. So he just facilitated the death. Anyway, now Logan offers the aimer a brew, to which he is called, quote, murderous mutant scum. Wolverine finishes his first beer and asks the beekeeper to direct him down the correct elevator shaft in order to find his uh, kidnapped friends. Now from here, and I mentioned decompression, we get what would probably amount to like three or four pages if this were a print book, of Wolverine repeatedly punching this guy in the face until he cracks. Like for real, like if you're following along with me here and you're starting to get the gimmick of at least this first story of X-Men Unlimited, a lot of it has to do with using, basically using scrolling. You know, we're, we're getting progression here, and it's an interesting experiment. Don't get me wrong here, I'm not calling it out for being anything other than what it is, which is uh, trying to use this, uh, this new technology in a way that doesn't feel necessarily forced. Like, we're not going from panel to panel, so this isn't like we're tapping on our screen and it's moving us to another panel and we're getting the weird views and it's zooming in on a balloon. And I mean, that stuff's cool, too. But it is kind of clunky. Like, it doesn't actually feel like you're reading a comic book. In my opinion, of course. Whereas with these Infinity comics, at least X-Men Unlimited, because I've only read this and it's Jeff, and it's Jeff is its own, no pun intended, its own animal. But the gimmick here for X-Men Unlimited feels like we're scrolling. We're progressing through a story uh, in a less passive sort of way, because we're kind of in control of the... The speed of the action, in a way I mean, we're talking about static images, of course But we are sort of in control of the tempo Like how quickly we scroll And all that kind of stuff here So this is good use of this new format But for real, you're probably scrolling for like 10 seconds now To get through this scene And that's, uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing It's, it's just a thing Anyway, the aimer finally tells him to use the middle door And so Wolverine kicks the door open And sees that it's quite a long way down and, I mean, we just talked about scrolling. You you're ready to scroll a little bit more? Okay. Well, Wolverine jumps down the elevator shaft, and he's cracking brews all along the way. And about eight or so seconds of scrolling later, he arrives at the bottom. There he finds Modoc hooked up to, like, a bunch of organic-looking stuff and encased in some sort of a membranous glass thing in the ground. I I'm not sure exactly what we're looking at here, but uh, it looks pretty cool. Anyway, it's here that Wolverine realizes that the AIM Beekeeper lied to him, and we wrap up with that AIM Beekeeper giving us a little puffy-faced giggle. And that, my friends, is where we end it. Our next episode of X-Laughs will be uh, dealing with, uh, what is his name, Manslaughter, over in the pages of X-Force. So, what did we think of this issue, or this story, or this uh, installment, I suppose we could call it? It's a toughie, isn't it? It's a toughie to talk about since it is something totally different from what we're uh, used to here on the show and just here in 
comics fandom, right? This is a whole new thing. Uh, and like I said last episode that we discussed this, I certainly see the potential here. And I think that it's, uh, it could be very exciting. I certainly don't want to see this take over for traditional comics in any way. Um, but as an aside, I think it's a, it's a neat little diversion. It's a neat little thing here. It gives us the opportunity to, I don't know, experience maybe a lighter story. And, and seeing Jonathan Hickman crafting a lighter story that isn't predicated on the cliche high concepts and the condescending pseudoscience, it's uh, pretty cool, right? It's a, it's a pretty neat little story. And, I mean, we could say that uh, we're not getting a whole lot here, but again, the price is right. This is something that's being included with the Marvel Unlimited subscription, at least for now. We don't know if there's a tier thing coming. I hope there isn't a tier thing coming. I don't know if this is just them giving us a taste of the exclusives and being like, hey, how you like these Infinity comics? How would you like paying a couple bucks more a month for them? And again, I have absolutely no insider knowledge here, and hopefully that isn't the case. But you know me, I am ever the cynic, and I always wait for, uh, as I like to say, the uh, other shoe to drop. So we'll, we'll, you know, we'll put a pin in that and not worry about it until it's something that's uh, actually on the horizon, if it ever is. Now, as I mentioned here, there isn't much to this story, and I think last time we discussed Unlimited, I mentioned that it felt very much like like a Wolverine installment that would have appeared in Marvel Comics Presents. And that's not praise, nor is it, you know, anything bad, especially when we take into account how many of these Infinity Comics we're getting a week, where if we were to take the entire week's offerings of uh, the Infinity Comics, compile them into one thing, it would very much feel like a uh, current year version of Marvel Comics Presents. And... As such, this Wolverine story would be perfect. Part of me wonders and kind of hopes that we'll start getting physical versions of these uh, somewhere down the line. Maybe they'll be trade collections. I, I really don't know what the uh, format would be or could be because, as I mentioned, uh, we had a lot of scrolling in this issue. And a lot of the story felt like it was uh, being progressed by that scrolling. And I really don't know how you replicate that in a physical comic other than, I don't know, just chopping it up and then, like, putting it on the page in any way it might fit, which, I mean, the collector part of me would be really for that. Because, you know, it it does bug me that there are bits and pieces of this Hox, Pox, Dox, Rock, Sox uh, era that I cannot physically own. I mean, that might just sound like I'm a crazy old man or a hoarder of some sort, but it bothers me that there is some of the story that, at least as far as we know, we're never going to actually have. And therein lies a little bit of uh, the subconscious disconnect I might have with this uh, project, wherein I feel like they're not going to be able to really uh, make any waves in the Unlimited title. because, And I mean, not that they have to make waves everywhere. I, I've commented before when we read solicits, like, how many times can we read a solicit where it's like, Krakoa is shaken to its core? It's like, again? <laughs> It's like, that's the fourth time this month. How do how, how we keep shaking this thing to its core? So, I mean, it doesn't have to. But, I mean, it's nice going into a comic with uh, not so much an expectation, but uh, the feeling that, you know, anything can happen. Whereas I don't think we're going to get that in the Unlimited book. I think these are going to be very, very safe and, for lack of a better term, inoffensive. Like, they're not going to move the needle very much. They're not going to shake anything up and... I mean, that's not a good thing, that's not a bad thing, it's just kind of a thing. Um, it reminds me of back around 
around the turn of the century when, you know, internet wasn't what it is now, right? A lot of us were still on dial-up. I mean, I was on dial-up until like 2005, so I was definitely still on dial-up around 1998 and 1999. But I do remember that Marvel put out a digital exclusive chapter of uh, the Gambit ongoing series at the time, the uh, Fabian Niciasa series. And if I'm recalling right, it actually revealed some very important information about uh, the story that was going on in the series. And I remember the backlash that Marvel faced for doing that, in that, you know, they left out a whole grip of their fan base who couldn't access these books, or even if they had the internet, were on such slow speeds that it would take them a day and a half to download an issue of a comic book. And even though I might be the only person to remember that, or maybe maybe I just made it up in my mind, um, I uh, think it gives me this weird subconscious expectation, or maybe lack of expectation, as to the impact that this X-Men Unlimited series will ultimately have. But, uh, I mean, it's still way, way, way too early to tell, and... Uh, I mean, you know me, I, I do the hot takes <laughs> very, very often, probably too often. But for what it's worth, uh, this is still a pretty fun story. I mean, we're only two parts in, but again, the price is right. It's nice getting something exclusive. It's nice getting something extra. And I hope that it's uh, enough incentive for some folks who might be on the fence about diving into Marvel Unlimited just for the, you know, amazing archives uh, that are available to you. If you do, that maybe they pop in here. Maybe they try it for a month. They, tr they want to see the unlimited books, and then they maybe dip into some Silver Age, Golden Age, Bronze Age, you know, any age of Marvel Comics, and maybe discover something new that they love, or rediscover something that they loved back in the long ago. Anyway, with all that said, uh, I suppose I should probably say a few words about the story we get. Um, first of all, Declan Shalvey is a treasure. Uh, the art here was very, very good. I mean, it should go without saying. It's exactly what we would expect. It's it's wonderful, wonderful stuff. And as for the story, it's, you know, I don't know how many pages this would translate to, but uh, it's X amount of pages of Wolverine acting like a badass. And, uh, I mean, you really can't go wrong in that sort of situation, can you? So if you currently have Marvel Unlimited, there's uh, no reason not to check this out. Um... I don't know if it's enough to get you to sign on to Marvel Limited if you're not already. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I guess mileage will vary from there. But uh, we will continue covering these on the show. And if we ever do get to a point that does push you over the precipice to uh, signing on to Marvel Unlimited, I would love to hear what story was the one that finally made you do it. So please let me know if and when you uh, join the dark side of uh, digital comics. Which you guys know me by now, if, you're, if you've are been listening for a while, digital comics are not my, uh, my way of reading comics. So this is a, it's a pretty big step for me. I'm uh, either maturing and broadening my horizons, or I've just been beaten into submission, I guess. <laughs> I guess I will leave that to other people to uh, decide. But uh, that is X-Men Unlimited, but we're not done yet, because we have our special backup story. This is It's Jeff number 2, the wonderful It's Jeff number 2. This had a September 2021 cover date, I think. We'll say, you know, just for argument's sake. Story's called Shock Cycle. Written by Kelly Thompson with art by Guru Hiru. Edits Go Wacka Sabalski. Released, again, it says September 2nd. I think I first saw it on the app on September 12th. No, no, wait, I, I just lied to you. This one, I think, came out on September 9th along with It's Jeff number 1. So, released, we'll say September 9th. And we'll just keep our fingers crossed that Marvel is a little bit more accurate with their uh, release dates from this point on here. Anyway, we got a very, very short and very adorable Jeff story to discuss today. We open with Jeff looking for a place to uh, 
to rest his weary cartilage and take a nap. Uh, now he's in a basement and he finds his way into a laundry basket where he catches a few Z's. And uh, if you have a small dog at home, you, you might be familiar with this phenomenon where they find their way into the laundry and uh, and then you know you pick up the basket and it's just a little bit heavier than you might expect. And it's like, oh, there, well, there's a chihuahua in here. So what are you going to do? Anyway, as he sleeps, Kate Bishop, the other Hawkeye, and can we talk about how annoying it is to have two Hawkeyes? I mean, that, how many, I mean, that, you can pick any name, any name. Why do we need two Hawkeyes? I don't know. That's a, that's an argument for other people who are more familiar with these characters, I suppose. Anyway, now she is here to do laundry. And so into the wash, the load goes, including our favorite tiny land shark. And so she starts the machine and it begins to fill with water. And as it does so, Jeff looks to be pretty scared. Until the spin cycle, in which he's just loving life here. He's swishing and swashing and flipping upside down, but just loving life. Now at this point, I'm going to guess that the machine was making some gnarly thunking sounds. Because Kate's back in the basement, freaking out about something, being among the Tide Pods there, and then finding out it's Jeff. She opens the washer, Jeff comes flopping out. And all's good in the hood. And that is where we part company with our good friend Jeff. And, uh, I mean, what can I say about this story? (laughs) I mean, it's not a whole lot to it again, but, uh, I loved every bit of it. You know, I mean, this is, this is stupid smile territory. You know, I'm just sitting here with a goofy grin. I mean, these are comics, my wife is not a big comic book fan, but uh, I've shown her Jeff the Landshark, and, uh, she thinks that Jeff is, like, the, the cutest thing in comics, and it's really hard to argue. Jeff is really, really cool and, and fun. To, I, I, you know, I'd say it's fun to read, even though we're not really reading it. We're just kind of following along with his little silent adventures. But uh, it's a blast. It's an absolute blast. I'm so happy that this is a thing. And, uh, again, I mean, this is, I think I said this last time, but uh, I hope that this gets collected physically because I, I just want this. I want this in my hands. <laughs> I want to own an issue of It's Jeff in print. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. And this one, I think, would be a little bit easier to um, translate into a physical form rather than the X-Men Unlimited chapter because, like I said, the scrolling. It's all predicated on scrolling, and the progression is kind of informed by by the scrolling. Here, it's different. It's a, it's a gag. It's a gag strip. So you could basically lay this thing out any way you want to, and it, it'll still be... A satisfying, fun, and adorable little visit with the land shark. And while a few moments ago I said X Men Unlimited might not, you know, make you, you know, get over the fence and want to get on Marvel Unlimited, well, it's Jeff might get you over the uh, over the hump there and make you want to sign up because it is really something else. It's it's so much fun, and I, and I know Marvel Unlimited has like their seven day trial period. So if anybody has any curiosity about how a Jeff the Land Shark comic might work. Maybe uh, maybe chip in those seven days and uh, and give uh, the first. I think we're up to four or five issues if it's Jeff that have already hit the app. So you'll have I don't know like four minutes worth of reading, but it'll be a very fun four minutes worth of reading, and we will continue including Jeff in our uh, coverage of the Infinity books for just as long as they keep making them. So uh, look forward to that. I know I am. It's a uh, pretty much all I can do not to. Uh, not to jump ahead, so I have not read the third chapter, the fourth chapter, and if there is a fifth chapter, I haven't read that either, so it's it's a fun one, and I always look forward to uh, spending a little bit of time with the tiny shark. But, my friends, that will do it for today. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, I would love for you to do so. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. 
You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Laps voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. Now, for blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com, which I'm finding is uh, less and less mobile-friendly. So if you're checking out the site on your phone or a little uh, device, it's probably an even uglier experience than uh, it is on a desktop or laptop. So uh, apologies there. I'm, I'm still trying to figure out whether or not I'm going to stay on, on Blogger or finally get my guts together and make the move to WordPress. We will... Uh, we will see. We will see, because I'm tired of it looking so uh, so crappy. I've put so much work into it, and it still looks like crap. So uh, we'll see where that goes. Where was I? Oh, yes, you could join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And, of course, for the complete archives, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and that's available on every application, device, and uh, those other words that mean things that you uh, listen to things on. Now, with all that said, I would like to thank you all so much for spending a little bit of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 251 of X-Lapsed, and it's a uh, it's a strange non-Sunday edition where we're looking at X-Men Unlimited. We had to push it to Monday this week since we had quest days yesterday. Oh, okay, now I get it. And so we're going to be taking a look at our exclusive issue today. So let's hop right in. We've got uh, X-Men Unlimited, uh, either Volume 3 or Volume Infinity, I guess. Uh, number 3. We'll say it has a September 2021 cover date, even though it doesn't have a, uh, you know, cover to put the date on. Anyway, written by Jonathan Hickman with art by Declan Shalvey. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino. Edits, Bisa white Sapolsky, And it appeared on the app on September the 13th of 2021. Now, we pick up right where we left off last time, though uh, we do have to scroll for about five seconds to get there. Once we do, it's, uh, well, it's MODOK, of course. Uh, well, the MODOK mainframe of the Dreadnought Paradigm shift, anyway. And MODOK threatens to kill our hero. Uh, not sure why, but the next we see of Logan, he's pouring out his remaining two beers. Uh, did, 
I don't know if we missed something here. I don't know why he would drink four of them and then dump two. I don't know. Maybe he's watching his weight. Oh, and it's worth noting here that uh, the MODOK mainframe is like in this giant bubble where last issue, when we wrapped up, it looked like it was like underground, kind of like inside the ground under a clear membrane. Maybe it wasn't clear. Maybe maybe I'm just an idiot. Who knows? But uh, anyway, MODOK asks Wolverine if he's ready to die, to which our man answers with a question of his own. He wants to know what AIM wants with mutants. Now, you remember we heard the term Project Tundra back at the first issue, and how I mentioned that it was new to me? Well, AIM's need for mutants has to do with that, and we'll just let MODOK explain it. He says, Project Tundra demands biological resources. Project Tundra must succeed for AIM to survive. Therefore, AIM must have biological resources. So it's uh, just as easy as that, I guess. Wolverine decides that his uh, next best step should start with a snicked, and so uh, he cuts his way into the bubble membrane thing and proceeds to hack away at the MODOK hologram facsimile. I'm not quite sure how this works, and, uh, well, neither does MODOK, it seems. He informs Logan that it would uh, he would need to slice 100 billion unique connections to shut down this mind, uh, something he estimates should take our hairy little mutant friend 17 entire years to do. Undeterred, Wolverine keeps slicing away all the same. Now, uh, if you're following along, you might remember last time we discussed X-Men Unlimited, we got like 10 seconds of scrolling while Logan repeatedly punched the AIM beekeeper in the face. Well, this is sort of like that, only with Wolverine slashing at the squiggly lines that make up this MODOK mainframe. And he's causing MODOK to uh, forget things. You know, first, MODOK forgets his first genocide. Then, he forgets his plans to replace the AIM beekeepers with automatons. Then, he loses his copies of the original Star Wars trilogy, which uh, finally prompts MODOK to, uh, to give in and, and try to negotiate. And, you know, it's been a while since I've said this, but uh, Jonathan Hickman is not very funny. He's not a funny writer. Uh, anyway, Wolverine keeps slicing and dicing until MODOK forcibly gives him a peace offering in the form of the floor beneath him opening up. Now, Wolverine falls to the level below, which thankfully only requires about a second and a half of scrolling to get to. There, he finds some beekeepers attending to one of the mutant-containing canisters, and so he beats up the baddies and opens a thing. He and we discover the contents of this canister as being Nightcrawler. And Kurt wakes up and asks for a sit-rep, and uh, Logan catches him and us up. You see, AIM invaded sword satellite The Peak, used a neutralizer to KO everybody, and then took three mutants back with them, Nightcrawler and two others. He then asks Kurt if he's down to join him on this mission, and of course he is. From here, he is somehow able to figure out where the other two mutants have been taken. Uh, I think he's holding a uh, clipboard of some sort. Uh, one is in Antarctica, the other is in New Zealand. And I'm starting to get vibes of the, uh, the old annual JLA-JSA team-ups where they'd uh, like spend entire issues just being sent places to find things. Uh, now Kurt says, hey, there's two locations, there's two of us, maybe we should split up. But Logan's like, nah, they'll work this one together. And we wrap up this little story with Wolverine telling Kurt that uh, once this is all said and done, he can buy him a drink. And then they bamf on out. Okay, so uh, we are, uh, we're only three segments of X-Men Unlimited in, um, and yet I feel like if I were to try to go into my thoughts on this one, I'd just be repeating myself, which uh, you guys know me, I do repeat myself 
fairly often on this program and on all programs, I suppose, but uh, I really don't have anything novel to say about this. Um, the art's great. The story is kind of just there. It uh, doesn't feel too terribly important or vital to the, you know, overarching Reign of X storyline. It's just a kind of an aside. And, I mean, that isn't necessarily a bad thing, especially since, I mean, we are getting this, at least for now, we're getting this for free. So the price is right. It's extra content. It's extra flavor. So many of us are already subscribed to Marvel Unlimited, so this is just, a, this is just sprinkles on top of the sundae. So it's, it's hard to complain about it. It'd also be kind of silly to complain about it. I mean, this is extra content, after all. I'm not exactly sure how long this opening arc's going to go on if I were to... Make an uneducated guess, I'd say that we're probably right around the halfway point. I mean, here we are, we found Nightcrawler, you know, this is issue three. Uh, probably four we'll find the next one, five we'll find the third and final one, and then probably in six we'll have our big, you know, senses-shattering conclusion to this arc. At least I hope it doesn't go uh, any longer than six installments, because uh, I think my mind has already moved on to what could possibly be next from the unlimited front here. This is uh, still a uh, format and a medium that I think has a lot of uh, potential. But I think I'm already kind of over the scrolling gimmick and uh, kind of over this AIM story as well. So, of course, that isn't to say it's a bad thing. I just feel like the unlimited concept... Uh, evokes memories of these sort of side stories and uh talking of potential i mean i've said this the past few times i think this sort of thing should be used to flesh out uh, some lesser known and lesser seen aspects of the current uh you know x-men landscape i totally understand launching it with a wolverine story but uh i just hope it doesn't you know drag on too long, and we can move on to some other things. I mean, of course, that is uh, bearing in mind that that's the goal here, and I don't know anything about anything. So, for all I know, after the Wolverine arc ends, maybe we'll get a six-part Emma Frost arc, because certainly we don't see enough of her in these books. Then we can get four parts of people talking about Jumbo Carnation's outfits. We can we can do that, because we certainly don't see enough of that. But uh, <laughs> I'm, of course, being overly snarky here, but... Uh, I'm just hoping that uh, maybe we shine a light on some of the lesser-seen aspects of uh, Grecoan life once this opening arc is uh, out of our way. But that'll remain to be seen, and we will get there when we get there. In any event, we'll we'll be there for it. But I think that's all I have to say about uh, X-Men Unlimited number three. But uh, we do have another number three to talk about, and it's it's Jeff number three. We'll say it's September 2021 cover, despite the fact that it doesn't have a cover. Uh, the story is called Sheep's Clothing, written by Kelly Thompson, with art by Greg Hero. Edits Pile Go Wacka Sapolsky. Now, this is another kind of blink-and-you-miss-it story. It's very, very short, but it's also very, very fun and very, very wonderful. Now, we open with little Jeffrey at the beach. Now, he watches some of the human folks surf, and he gets excited about hopping into the drink himself. Only, before he does, he remembers the terrible fright he gave his pals back in issue one. So, It's Jeff has continuity, <laughs> and uh, it's almost like more continuity than I'd expect in an average Marvel comic nowadays. Now, anyway, if you recall, back in issue one, Jeff was visiting the public pool, and when he hopped in for a swim, all of his pals, upon seeing his shark fin, scrambled to get out of the water. And uh, these weren't just some wimps or nothing. We actually have a who's who here. We had Moon Girl, Devil Dinosaur, Black Panther, Spider-Gwen, Captain Marvel, Captain America, Miles Morales, Doctor Strange, and the Hulk. 
So, with this revelation, Jeff gets all slump-shouldered and sad. And yeah, it's weird to say, but this tiny shark actually looks slump-shouldered. But then, he has an idea, so off to the costume shop he goes. There, he buys a costume from a pair of vendors dressed as Fin Fang Foom and Gwenpool, respectively. And next thing we know, Jeff returns to the beach, changes into costume where he's dressed as a dolphin. And he hops into the drink, and nobody is any the wiser, and he can finally play with his new human friends. And that's where we leave it, and uh, just like I said with uh, X-Men Unlimited number three, I feel like to analyze this, or attempt to analyze it, I would just be repeating myself, because this is a story that uh, defies analysis. It's just an adorable little aside, and uh, I had a great time with it. For as short as it was, I, I really, really enjoyed it. The art here is just... It pops. It pops. It's just plain adorable. And the uh, situations that uh, Kelly Thompson puts this tiny little land shark in are just... Uh, they're just so much fun. Um, and just like every time we've talked about Jeff to this point, um, my only complaint is I want this physical. <laughs> I want physical versions of this. I want I want Jeff merch. I want as much merch as Marvel can throw at us here. This is a... Uh, some gateway uh, stuff here. I think you could capture the imagination of, uh, of young readers for perhaps the first time by giving them some Jeff stories. And if you've been listening for a while, you all know how I feel about adaptations of comics here. If you make a movie or a cartoon or a whatever out of it, I, I'm usually not on board with that kind of thing. I usually roll my eyes anytime someone's like, well, this would make a great cartoon, or hey, this should be a movie. Well, in Jeff's case... Yes, this should be, like, short five-minute cartoons. This should be cartoons. This should be those mini-comics that people give away on Halloween. I mean, this... I feel like there's so much potential with Jeff as a, as a gateway character and getting the younger generation interested in our comics universes here. Like, I look at what DC's doing with their, like, YA brand and their kids' brand here, and I'm seeing crap like, uh, what was it called? Uh, Archimaniacs. I mean, are you kidding me with this crap? Um, but no, give us Jeff, put him in the kids' section of the bookstore, put him next to Dogman and the Pigeon and the Elephant and Piggy, you know, put him over there where kids can find him here, and present it as looking a little less cheap than the, you know, I-can-read-level-two Captain America story that looks like the most generic thing in the world. And yeah, I do have a little bit of knowledge about the kids' section of bookstores. My wife, uh, my wife taught second grade for over a decade, so we spent a lot of time uh, collecting books for her library. And I always wanted to like suggest that she picks up some sort of a, a Marvel or a DC thing, but all of the Marvel and DC stuff looked so cheap, looked so crappy, and I couldn't imagine a single kid reading that and being excited to seek out more of the same. And then as they grow older, actually maybe maybe darken the doorway of a comic book store to continue following these adventures. But uh, I think Jeff the Landshark might be that breakthrough character. I mean, you give cameos to all the heavy hitters in Marvel, you have them all kind of orbiting around this adorable Landshark and his adorable little innocent adventures, and I, I think you could uh, maybe pump a little bit of lifeblood back into this industry in as far as the next generation's concerned. And I've totally taken Marvel to task before for their... A lazy, thrown-in, free comic book day crap. Jeff the Landshark seems like the perfect candidate for a free comic book day issue. And maybe I'm over-romanticizing it. Maybe uh, I'm completely wrong, but... And I certainly don't think that uh, 
Jeff the Landshark can single-handedly <laughs> save comics retail or anything like that, but uh, I think he could uh, be a step in the right direction. Again, this is younger readers here, uh, kids who are just discovering what comic books are, and it's a tough road to hoe. And I mean, I've talked about this so many times before, so I will try not to waste too much of your time on it today, but... Uh, Comics are not impulse buys anymore. Comics are expensive. Comics are not written for kids anymore. You wouldn't want a kid reading a mainstream comic book anymore. It's just not written for them. And so uh, the the answer may lie within a tiny little Landshark. But yes, I think that's all I have to say about uh, Jeff the Landshark number three. I was positively tickled that there was continuity. I never expected there to be continuity. So big thumbs up for that. And uh, just big thumbs up overall. Such a fun Quick experience, but so much fun. So much fun. Anyway, with that out of the way here, I don't usually do mail on Unlimited Day. Unlimited Day is usually a, uh, a quick, you know, in and out sort of thing. But uh, since this is a Monday show this week, and we do have some Monday rituals that we do here on the show, I figure uh, we'll do some mailbag, and why not? Now we're going to start with Evan talking about Children of the Atom number four. Now Evan says, one thing this series does convey is emotion. I can not only see but feel the kid's outsider status and yearning to belong. But the story doesn't hold up to the feelings. The fact that I I now know it's ending in two issues makes me question the slow burn even more. It feels like every time we learn something and think the series is going in a particular direction, we start over with a new narrator and direction while retreading similar ground. Perhaps it's meant to keep us guessing. Are they mutants? Altered humans? High-tech wonders? Aliens? Those are all the TSR Marvel role-playing game character types I can remember off the top of my head. And yeah, I totally agree here. Um, If you're listening to this episode, you've probably already made it through the conclusion of Children of the Atom, where I made a lot of those same um, sort of observations there. It's like, was this really the right way to present this story with this semi-repetitive slow burn here where for every, like, one step forward, we got two steps back? It just, uh... It didn't work for the way that it was presented here. Um, I'm not sure how it'll read as a collected edition, because, of course, that's all, you know, that's all corporate cares about is how this is going to read in perpetuity here. They don't care about the monthlies or the weeklies or anything like that. So when you read the, uh, the trade, the inevitable trade, and you see that the Hellfire Gala is part of the ending of it, it's not going to matter when this happened. It's not going to matter if this issue came out two months after the Hellfire Gala actually ended. It's a lot of the a lot of the concerns that I think I had in reading it month to month aren't going to be pertinent or valid anymore. Unfortunately, I don't know Professor X, so I can't have my mind wiped. <laughs> All I can do is reflect on how I received them going month to month. And in that regard, it was uh, a very clunkily told story, at least in my opinion. Now, Evan continues, Where's Nagin and the other headmen? And Maggot's on the last page of this issue and on the cover of number five, so I've got to see what happens next. And I'm also going to go with Carmen being a brood queen. Maybe she can go hang with Brew and design X costumes for his kinder, gentler brood. And yeah, I think I think a lot of us forgot about Nagin and the other headmen there during the uh, the cold dinner scene where we found out that Cole's uh, illness or whatever he came down with um, was cured by giving him some like mutant DNA, uh, like a transfusion of some sort. I can't remember exactly how it was presented to us, but uh, something along those lines. And uh, it definitely felt like we were seeding for a future story arc here and. 
I mean, we don't know what's coming post-Inferno. There could very well be a volume two of this. I mean, who can say? And as far as Carmen's um, manifestation there, well, by now you know it wasn't uh, that she's a brood queen. It was actually just a, a swipe of the uh, the old O-Comics razor, you know? Um, what's, the, what's the easiest thing that they could have made her into? Well, a mutant, and uh, that's exactly what they did. Definitely kind of a misfire as a series, but... This one felt like it was kind of snake-bit from the start, didn't it? Um, I mean, this one was originally solicited back in uh, the spring of 2020, right? So over a year later it came out, things were... Well, they were pretty different from... uh, I mean, we were post-Exitens, and uh, we were in a whole different phase of this run. So perhaps it would have fared a bit better back then. Maybe this would have been like phase one for Vita Ayala's uh, run on New Mutants, because if this would have gotten us to the original launch date of the X of Swords event, right after that is when is when Vita Ayala took over New Mutants. So maybe this would have been a lead-in for that. Uh, maybe the Coda kids would have been uh, more part of the Wild Hunt storyline going on in New Mutants. And for all we know, the Coda kids may show up somewhere down the line in New Mutants. We do know that there's a new direction coming, at least that's what the solicit alludes to uh, come December or so, so wouldn't surprise me either way. I suppose we will see, but uh, thank you so much for writing in on that one, Evan. I really, really appreciate it. Next up, Andrew Franklin talking about the Trial of Magneto number one. Andrew says, Congratulations on hitting the quarter of a thousandth episode. Only 75% more to go for the big Kilo Extravaganza show. Well, thank you so much. Uh, The reception for uh, hitting 250 shows was a little overwhelming to me. I I was not expecting anybody to really care or notice. And uh, people did. People did. I don't know if they listened, but they at least appreciated um, the effort that was going into this program every day. So thank you, Andrew, and thanks to everybody. We'll, we'll talk more about that at the, at the very end of the show, or toward the end of the show. Andrew continues. On a first read of Trial Number 1, I was a little disappointed because I didn't think the book would be written in crossover style, where everyone jumps to a conclusion, fights break out at the drop of a hat, and no one stops to talk, even though that would solve 99% of the problems. That's not really the style I was expecting from Leia Williams. But after the X-Factor debacle, I kind of assume it's mostly Marvel meddling trying to make this series a big event. Or maybe it's just Onslaught. And yes, I totally agree here. There there was definitely meddling at play here. Uh, From what we know, uh, this uh, Scarlet Witch, I guess, case, I guess that's what we would call an X-Factor story for this run, their cases... The Scarlet Witch case was supposed to hit in issue 15 of X-Factor, which would probably be coming out a couple months from now. Of course, X-Factor wasn't selling that well, and we do have the big uh, the big seismic shift here with Hickman leaving, Inferno hitting, and just the uncertainty of what this uh, next phase is going to look like post-Inferno. Um, I think they had to kind of make it its own thing here. Now, it remains to be seen whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but... Um, as I mentioned when I uh, when I covered the issue here, I really didn't know how to quite to react to it. You know, I, I think I was expecting kind of like you were not the not the you know the standard Marvel big fight. I think I was expecting more of a forensic look at it with uh, more of a focus on X Factor. Though they they did get a focus here, they were kind of just along for the ride, right? They they were in the driver's seat for a bit, <laughs> but for the rest of it, it was just like, well, yeah, they did their role, and uh, now let's let the uh, the stars take care of it. And I also mentioned during the discussion that I felt 
I don't know, a little bit of passive aggression, which may be me projecting, which may be just me imagining things that aren't really there, but it sure felt like um, X Factor was kind of annoyed at uh, their role in this. Plus, I, I don't think Marvel did themselves any favors by having Wolverine basically figure out that Magneto did it in the last page of X Factor number 10. And then, like, the big reveal here is that, like, they all came to that conclusion, but Wolverine was there too and didn't. I don't know. And I mean, he said it out loud in X Factor number 10. It's not, not like people didn't hear it. I don't know. I, I, like I said during that episode, I, I want to reserve judgment on it, at least for now. And if this does wind up falling short, I mean, kind of feels like we got a lot of cooks in the kitchen right now between editorial and creative trying to tell the story that they feel needs to be told. It also doesn't help matters that we've gone into this, you know, famine to feast, back to famine again sort of situation as, as it pertains to momentum. In these uh, in this line of books here, where like we spend months and months and months treading water, and then all of a sudden it's like we don't just have one event, we don't just have two events, we've got three. I mean, we have this onslaught revelation, we have the trial of Magneto, and we have Inferno. Inferno is hitting the shelves in like two days. So I mean, all these events happening at once. Which is the most important? Well, probably Inferno. So what does that mean about the Trial of Magneto? That's a, just a, another event? Is that a less important event? It's, I don't know, it, just, it feels like really odd timing, and it's not doing anything but Inferno any favors. Andrew continues, On a second read of the issue, I was able to look past the breakneck pace of the plot and appreciate Williams' dialogue and how she really gets into the emotions of the characters. It is a little strange how Quicksilver just shows up, but you can't help but to feel his well of anger, frustration, and sadness. And whatever is going on with the Scarlet Witch is very intriguing and does a whole lot more to propel interest in the next chapters. And yeah, you know, like I said, I'm withholding judgment until we get a little deeper into it. Uh, I think I'd have preferred they hold off a little bit with uh, telling us that the Scarlet Witch isn't dead. I thought that was a little quick here. I did enjoy seeing Quicksilver, and I certainly enjoyed the uh, little callback to the original Brotherhood. I thought that was very well done. But I suppose we will see on uh, on everything else. Uh, Andrew wraps up with, So until we get to see what a, what a Krakoan courtroom looks like, make my next lapsed. And you know, I actually thought that that's what this was going to be. <laughs> I think uh, when I first heard that this was going to be called The Trial of Magneto, I figured it was going to be five issues of something kind of like the last time. Or the first time Magneto was put on trial back around uh, Uncanny 200 or so. I figured that was going to be our present day, and then we were going to get a lot of flashbacks trying to put together the pieces here. I don't know if I was necessarily excited about that sort of prospect, especially dragging on for you know an entire miniseries worth of issues. But uh, but that's kind of what I assumed we were going to get, you know, especially with the ending of X Factor 10 being like, gotta find Magneto. <laughs> I figured this this was going to start with them already having Magneto in. Uh, in captivity or just on trial, and the Quiet Council would hear his case. But thank you so much for your kind words and for your early thoughts on the uh, trial of Magneto, Andrew. Uh, next up, we got Peter talking about X-Corp number three, and uh, in particular, uh, one scene that was in X-Corp number three uh, regarding when Jamie Madrox manifested his powers. Now, Peter says, I always thought most mutants had their mutations hit during puberty, but just like not everyone writing with their right hand, there could be a fair bit of exceptions. Didn't Professor X and Cassandra Nova manifest powers in their mother's womb? 
I think it's unnecessarily limiting for all people finding out their mutants exclusively one way or the other. And yes, that's uh, absolutely true. Uh, Cassandra was, uh, what was she, a Moman? I don't know how to say the word, Mumandri? Mum- whatever she was. Uh, uh, Charles was able to, uh, or he thought he was able to take her out with his powers uh, even while he was still in the womb. I think my point in mentioning that during X-Corp number three was more me being kind of a, uh, well, snarky jerk, <laughs> kind of playing it like a... The writer of that issue isn't familiar enough with the uh, with the source material to know that there's uh, any sort of, I don't want to say controversy, but uh, debate over whether or not that's how his powers would have manifested. Because not only do they not read the other X-Books, I doubt they're uh, looking at old Usenet posts and old forum posts going back, you know, a quarter of a century at this point. But yes, your point is well taken, and, and for the most part, I do agree. I, I like uh, that there is a bit of variety on how and when a power can manifest. And my statements on that episode were more just me being kind of a pedantic jerk is all. But thank you so much for writing in, Peter. I'm really enjoying hearing from you. Now that is the mailbag for today, but from here we're going to hop into a couple of voicemails. So uh, we're going to start off with a voicemail from Ed Moore. Hey, Chris. This is Ed Moore. Um, in reference to your question posed on X-Lapsed Point One, Episode 3, Marvel Mystery Comics Number 3, about Toro, um, I say you just pass him by. Uh, as you are going through all of these different series and different eras and everything, it's just not going to be possible to keep up with everyone who is a mutant, uh, rumored mutant, possible mutant, potential mutant, kind of mutant, you know, it, it just, it'll start expanding too quickly. If you um, probably just pare down and focus on the ones that uh, pop up more frequently or become, you know, A-list characters, that probably will be um, enough to fill plenty, plenty of time that you want to do as far as research and, and podcasting. But there you go. There's my three cents. Catch you later, man. Ciao. So some of you listening probably don't have any idea what Ed was just talking about. So uh, let me fill you in a little bit here. Over on the Patreon, we do have an exclusive show called X-Lapse Point One, wherein right now we're uh, talking about... Uh, it's got to kind of be an all-inclusive mutant program that uh, covers topics and characters that don't don't really fall into the purview of X-Lapsed or Essential X-Lapsed. It's kind of the extracurricular sort of stuff here. And right now we're uh, talking about Namor the Submariner, the first Marvel mutant. We went all the way back to Motion Picture Funnies number one, uh, back before Marvel Comics number one, to talk about his first appearances here. And a question that I posed during the third episode of uh, Point One was, what do we do about Toro? Now, for folks who don't know, Toro is the original Human Torch's sidekick who, for like 50 years, was thought to be a mutant. Now, that all changed uh, within the past 10 years when Marvel was having its, uh, you know, uh, we don't own the X-Men movie rights anymore, so mutants are bad temper tantrum. And uh, Toro was then made into having latent inhuman abilities, not mutant abilities. But I still thought it would be uh, interesting to pose the question, you know, do we cover Toro, who was thought to be a mutant for so long? And uh, so far, the consensus has been, uh, just like Ed said, no, (laughs) no Toro, don't do Toro, which I tell you what is a relief. (laughs) Um, We will be having some uh, uh, Submariner and Human Torch crossovers 
at which point Toro will be there, so I could probably say everything that we need to say about Toro during one of those issues. But I mean, had we covered Toro, it would kind of like double the amount of shows we'd have to do. So I'm happy that people are okay, kind of kind of putting Toro to the side. Maybe there's someone else out there who wants to do a uh, Toro-centric program, and I can just uh, I could just link to them, and maybe they'll link back, and we can uh, synergize in that regard. But I want to thank you so much for calling in, Ed, and of course for all of your support and for uh, joining in on the uh, little Patreon experiment we have going on right now. Uh, next up, a voicemail from Jeremiah. Hey, Chris, it's Jeremiah. Just wanted to say congratulations on uh, Patreon. I hope it goes really well for you. I also wanted to say that I read X-Men number three this week and the Onslaught comic, and I'm looking forward to your shows on both of those when they come out. The X-Men comic I really liked and the Onslaught book. I had no idea what's going on, so I'm going to need you to translate it for me in the podcast. Talk to you soon. Bye. Well, thank you for your uh, kind words and for your support. Um, I was very, very nervous about starting this little experiment, and uh, I'm actually kind of overwhelmed by uh, the response that it's gotten so far. So uh, thank you, and uh, we I will name names as we uh, get closer to the end of this episode, but uh, definitely thank you, and I am certainly... Looking forward to that onslaught issue myself here, and uh, I will do my best to translate as best I can. Now that's our voicemail segment. Uh, next up, we do have some uh, news. We have a little bit of news and rumors here uh, regarding the future of the X books. Here, um, one is uh, one is pretty uh, potentially important. It's a rumor, though. Uh, Benjamin Percy had tweeted out a redacted screen cap of a recent X-Men Summit uh, Zoom call or a conference call of some sort. And it has, you know, like the Brady Bunch boxes, right, where you see a different creator in each box. But two of those boxes were, uh, were scratched out. But folks over at Bleeding Cool did a little bit of forensics on it and uh, were able to match up the background, the little bits of the background that weren't crossed out, and uh, they assume, or they believe, that one of those redacted creators might just be former Uncanny X-Men writer, former Generation X, not Generation X, Generation Hope writer, Kieran Gillen. So, how do we feel about that? Well, I can't speak for everybody, but uh, I rather enjoyed his work on the X-Men uh, going back, boy, that was over ten years ago, wasn't it? Where'd my life go? Boy, um, yeah, I, I'm a fan of Kieran Gillen. So if he's going to be part of this post-Hickman um, run, then hey, I'm, I'm there for it. I think that's a really, uh, that's a value-added move for the, uh, for the X-Men brain trust right now. Uh, the other bit of news we have is tangential. Uh, it's not really X-Men related here, but some of the X-Books are tied up in a crossover with these characters at this point. But, uh... Yeah, we learned that Guardians of the Galaxy will be wrapping up after The Last Annihilation, so I guess we can say the X-Men were part of the Guardians' swan song for this, uh, for this point in time. But uh, that's the news. Next up, we got This Week in X. Um, this is where I like to tell you what's coming out on Unlimited and what's hitting the stands. Unfortunately, there still is no uh, information on Unlimited, so, I mean, it's... When you're listening to this, it's Monday, so all you got to do is pop over to the app and everything's there. So I don't know what good I was doing yet anyway in that regard, but uh, I can't tell you what's there. Uh, on stands, though, we have a fairly large week, starting with Inferno number 1. All ten covers of it. 
that is the big event of the uh, of the fall, and um, I can't lie to you, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I really want to see what this is going to be all about. Uh, we also have Sword Number Eight, which rumor has it is lumbering toward a conclusion of its own, and that one only has two covers, which I guess is the telltale sign that Marvel doesn't really believe in it all that much. Only two covers, boy. Uh, next up, we got Wolverine number 16, which has three covers, so Marvel still cares about that book. Uh, and then on the collected edition racks, we have Cable by Duggan Volume 2 and the Reign of X Volume 4 Anthology. Let's do some shout-outs here. This is me thanking the folks on social media who uh, clicked the little uh, interactability buttons on the uh, posts that I sent out. And this is all about the 250th episode and the launch of the Patreon here, and... I tell you what, it's a long, long list this time out, and uh, it really, really means the world to me that so many folks were uh, receptive to you know this uh, this little tweet I sent out. Uh, let's start over on Twitter. I want to thank uh, Ed Moore, Walt Neeland, The Long Box of Darkness, Joe Crawford, Dave Schultz, Bob Rowland, The Long Box Crusade, Pat Sampson, 21st Century Boys, Jason Colby, Jeremiah Jones, Jacob Jones, Chris Bailey, The Between the Pages blog, Billy D. Mark Jagger, Professor Allen, Tom Panarese, Into the Weird, Jesse DeYoung, Evan Bevins, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Kirk Spencer, Joseph Day, The Source Material Podcast, David Perlmutter, Jody Yarden, Tyrone Hagens, Mark Radulich, and Professor Frenzy. I tell you what, that is, uh, that's an awesome list of names there, and uh, thank you all so much for making uh, this nobody almost feel like somebody. <laughs> So thank you all so much. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Professor Allen, Jesse D. Young, Chris Bailey, Pat Samson, Andrew Franklin, Walt Neeland, and Billy D. Thank you all so much for helping to signal boost the show and uh, spread the word. Now, as mentioned, with the 250th episode, I did launch a Patreon, and uh, I was expecting to be met by uh, digital crickets. Uh, but no, no, um, I was blown away, blown away by the reception here. Um just two days into the experiment, and uh, there are already eight patrons on board, uh, and I want to give them my sincerest thanks. Um, thank you to uh, Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Neeland, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse D. Young, and Damien. There really are no words. Um, thank you so much. Uh, this is, uh, I'm, I'm very weird about putting myself out there. Um, I always view... Um, putting myself out there as just another another way for me to potentially fail at something. So uh, doing this was was hard for me. It was very, very scary. And um, just wrapping my head around the concept that anything I could I could produce would be worthy of uh, anybody's time, much less anybody's hard-earned money. It really, like I said, there there are, there really are no words besides. Uh, Besides a heartfelt thank you. So, thank you. There's a lot more to come over on the exclusive channel here. I have a lot of ideas that I'm uh, currently kicking around. So, expect some announcements in the coming uh, weeks and uh, months. But I think that'll do it for me today. This is an uncharacteristically long um, X-Men Unlimited episode, isn't it? Um, uh, now, if anybody would like to get a hold of me, you can do so very easily. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Labs voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. 
For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And, of course, the uh, archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and you can find that on any of your favorite and least favorite podcast applications. And, of course, there is the Patreon, which I am trying not to push too, too hard, because I know that could be very, very off-putting, but it, it is there. It's at patreon.com slash xlapsed. But with all that said, I think that will do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 256 of X-Laps, and uh, this is my first time recording into um, Audacity 3-point-something. Um, I guess I've been on a very old version of Audacity. I just found out, as of this recording, I just found out yesterday that I was quite behind the times in as far as my uh, Audacity status. So, here we are. 3.0.3, I think. So, uh, hopefully this sounds... Uh, well, I guess hopefully it sounds just the same as the previous several hundred episodes because, uh, yeah, I don't want those to sound worse than this. But I suppose uh, we'll have to wait and see. So you guys let me know how this uh, how this sounds. If it sounds any different, if it sounds better, worse, the same, just let me know. Also, uh, this is being recorded a little bit early because uh, this weekend uh, the wife and I went out of town. So by the time you're hearing this, hopefully, hopefully I'm back home. After a trip to Minneapolis and um, and maybe some visits to some uh, foreign to me comic book shops, it's always so exciting when you have the uh, potential of visiting a store you've never been to before, especially if it's in like a whole other city and state. It's I don't know, you get your hopes up. And I'm sitting here now, a few days before, and I'm like, oh, I hope I can find that one book. You know, uh, there's one book, a recent book, that I can't find anywhere in town. It's I mean, it's not like it's an important book, but it's important for me as a completionist. I'm looking for X-Men Black Magneto, and I can't find the damn thing anywhere in town. It's the last of the color books that I need to uh, 
to complete my collection from when I had my, uh, I threw my little temper tantrum a few years back and went running for the hills. So, fingers crossed, as you're listening to this, I've got it in my hot little hands. Hopefully some uh, other interesting goodies as well, but uh, I guess I'll have to let you know next time, huh? Now, it might sound like I'm vamping, and uh, yeah, I kind of am, because, uh, well, it's unlimited day. Which is to say, there isn't a whole heck of a lot to say. Um, You know, this is the fourth issue of X-Men Unlimited here. And one of the primary things we talk about when we cover an issue of the uh, Infinity Comics is their over-reliance on the scrolling gimmick. And boy, does this one have it in spades. Um, It feels like you do more scrolling than reading in this one. So, uh, yeah, not a whole heck of a lot to say. But, uh, you know, I should probably get right into it, huh? Okie dokie, so this is X-Men Unlimited, Volume 3, Number 4. We're going to say it has a September 2021 cover date, despite the fact that it has no cover. Uh, Written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Declan Shalvey. Letters, VCs, Josephino, edits, B. So White Sabolsky, appeared on the app September 19th of 2021. Now, we pick up our story with our heroes arriving in Antarctica to rescue one of the two remaining missing mutants. Nightcrawler bamfs them below ground to a secret aim bunker where... Alright, like I said, what's the watchword when it comes to this brand of X-Men Unlimited? It is, of course, scrolling! So, uh, you know, they bamf in, and uh, they're on the edge of a platform of some sort, and Wolverine winds up falling off said platform. And it's quite a fall. So we follow him down for around seven seconds worth of scrolling... Nightcrawler does bamf him to safety before he can go splat, even though, I mean, he is Wolverine, and he probably wouldn't have even felt the fall. Anyway, the pair arrive outside a closed-off room. Nightcrawler wonders if they should enter, however, after engaging his sniffer, Logan is able to deduce that there are scads of beekeepers lurking on the other side of the door, all with their lasers, cannons, bazookas, and pea shooters at the ready. And so Wolverine suggests that maybe they just go around. And so, they bamf around, into the beekeeper bathroom, where, ho ho ho, there's a baddie sitting on the toilet. Ha ha, humor, comedy, oh boy. Uh, Wolverine pops his clothes, threatening to carve the hell out of this poor pooper. We jump ahead five minutes, and our heroes are battling more beekeepers. Now, it is worth noting here that Wolverine has his claws out the entire time, and he is just slicing and stabbing the hell out of anything that moves. So our man uh, ain't ain't afraid of the hole. He's not afraid of the hole. Huh? So they continue. Oh, and we do pop back over to the turlet, where the poor pooper now has his head completely in the commode. We're not sure if he's dead or not. But, uh, I mean, he'd probably like to be if he's not. It's He's not moving. We don't see any movement. But, uh, again, it is a static image, so who can say? Anyway, we go down another level, and more beekeepers arrive. Wolverine tells Nightcrawler to go on ahead while he deals with the grunts. And I tell you what, there is a lot of blood here. I mean, he is, like, stabbing through people's backs. You gotta assume this is a official X-Force business, right? Uh, otherwise, we would have to cancel the X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine and replace it with the X-Trials of Wolverine because he killing fools. There's no way he's not. It would take a John Byrne Hulk-sized uh, revelation here to tell us that he's not killing people. Anyway, Nightcrawler bamfs over to the hibernation capsule, opens it, and discovers that the second kidnapped mutant is... Chamber. And about four seconds of scrolling later, as we follow the energy blast he unleashes from his missing maw upon being freed, I mean, we're rolling and rolling this thing, this actually barbecues all of the beekeepers and Wolverine. Which, 
Well, I now hope that the beekeepers were already dead, because Jono does not have the X-Force loophole to fall back on, does he? Yeah, who knows, maybe he'll be deputized, I don't know. But uh, anyway, Logan has Nightcrawler bamf the three of them to the next base, which, if I'm remembering right, is in New Zealand. Then, after scrolling a few more seconds on a completely black screen, we get an epilogue! Ooh, I feel like a moviegoer here. This is like a post-credit sequence. Look at look at me. Look at me. Uh, anyway, the trio makes it to New Zealand. Okay, cool. So I did remember that, right? Only they find that the base has already been evacuated. So you see, AIM still has that third missing mutant. But we're none the wiser as to what their plans are. Now, we do get a sort of kind of look at that final capsule, and... Uh, it appears to be a woman in there with longish hair and bangs, but that's really all I can make out under the hibernation glass. Uh, your guess is as good as mine. Now we wrap up with the assurance that Wolverine will not rest until he rescues them. So this story will continue, just not next issue, because next issue is Jerry Duggan's X-Men Green. Now I'm assuming we'll actually have things to say about X-Men Green when it happens here. Unfortunately, there isn't much to say about this story, which almost makes me feel like I'm half-assing this, and I feel bad about that. I feel like if I can't come up with something to say uh, of an analytical bent or just anything, I I feel like I'm uh, copping out here. That said, there's really only so much I can say about a story that in and of itself feels kind of like an afterthought. Uh, the art here is is great. I mean, Declan Shalvey is great, but there really isn't much story here. This feels like uh, like just trying to get ahead of things, like like something you'd write on your lunch break. Because honestly, these four issues that we've covered so far could have just been like four, you know, Sunday comics style strips. You know, there's not a whole heck of a lot here. I don't sense any passion behind this story. I also don't sense any interest behind it. It's just uh, it's just here. And no, it's not bad. It's just, uh, I don't know, like a non-event, I guess. Not that everything has to be an event, but uh, I don't know. Just uh, feels feels half-hearted, unfortunately. Uh, I do think it's smart not to burn through all the Hickman stuff right away. You know, promising that this will eventually come back. I think that's smart. I, I think that's a good thing here because uh, we know that Hickman will be leaving following Inferno. So if he gets some stories in the can here that... Marvel can put out every few months on Unlimited. I think that could only help, right? I think that's a good idea, even if it's, you know, kind of half-hearted like like this feels. It's still, he's got name recognition. It's nice to have him still entangled in the X-Universe. That said, I hope his future installments are a little bit less reliant on the scrolling gimmick here. I mean, I get it as a novelty. I get it as uh, trying to see the potential of this new format, uh, this slightly different, you know, dialect of the comics language here, I think. There's certainly potential here, but I'm not going to lie to you, I think I might be over the scrolling gimmick. I I think it's time to maybe try to find a more happy medium between the scrolling gimmick and the sequential art, where it isn't so reliant on the scroll. Because, I mean, as an outsider looking in here, I see the scrolling as making this look longer than it really is. You know, making it feel like a beefier offering where it can, you know, almost trick you into thinking you're getting more content than you actually are. And, I mean, that might be a uh, an entitled observation or complaint considering that, at least for now, we're getting these for free if we're already subscribed to Marvel Unlimited. So, 
lest I come across as a choosy beggar. I think uh, I should probably quit complaining about that for now. Um, Like I say every week, if you are already subscribed to Marvel Unlimited, there's no reason not to check this out. If you're not currently subscribed to Marvel Unlimited, I'm not sure that this would be the thing to push you over the line to, uh, to sub. But maybe there is an Infinity comic in this line that uh, I would tell you to subscribe for. Well, I mean, I, I say so somewhat earnestly, but at the same time, I mean, I am talking about Jeff the Landshark now. Um, now, Jeff, it's Jeff is a fun, fun strip here. Unfortunately, it is a blink and you'll miss it type of strip as well here. It's a very, very quick, I don't even know if we can call it a read since there are no words in it, but I have so much fun with it. Um, I don't know that there are any free samples of this up on the site, but if there are, please check them out. Please check them out. I think it's certainly worth the, I mean, 30 seconds it'll take for you to go through it here. Let's hop into uh, It's Jeff Issue 4. Now we're going to say that this has a September 2021 cover date. Uh, the story's called Captain of Fun. Written by Kelly Thompson with art by Gurahiru. Edits Pile Go Wacker Sabalski appeared on the app September the 16th of 2021. Now we start with our tiny hero, and he's decided to go sledding with some friends. Now we don't get a roll call page, but I'll introduce them anyway. First, we've got Squirrel Girl, who uh, is thankfully not drawn as she's drawn in her own series. Uh, is that even still a thing that exists, or are we over that for now? Um, I don't know. Well, uh, she's got a squirrel with her. I'm not sure if this squirrel has a name or not. Also, we have Ms. Marvel, Miles Morales, and Hulkling and Wiccan. Now, I should probably tell you all what they're equipped with, too, right? Uh, since that kind of is the crux of this story. Now, Squirrel Girl has an old-fashioned sled. Ms. Marvel has a little more of a modern version of an old-fashioned sled. Uh, Miles has a Spidey-branded sled that kind of looks like a child's booster seat. Like, it looks like hollow plastic, kind of. It doesn't look like it's, uh, it could support the weight of uh, anybody over the age of four or five. Hulkling and Wiccan are using what looks like a two-seater pool float. And our little hero has uh, a pan of some sort. Maybe it's a garbage pail lid. I don't know. It's a pan. And so, they get to shushin. Now, everything's going great until Jeff hits a bump and goes flying. And he lands headfirst in a heap of snow, looking kind of like Winnie the Pooh when he's stuck in the tree. Our little hero pulls himself out and scurries back to his pan, plate, whatever it is, only to find out that it's cracked. Well, he sadly watches the rest of his friends continuing their shushing down the hill. But then, inspiration strikes. Some time passes, and Jeff is back to sledding. Not only that, he's managed to beat all of his pals down the hill. And I hear you asking, just how in the world did he do that? Well, to answer that question would require us to take a scene shift. And we hop over to New York City, where Captain America is about to bust a bank robber. He goes to hurl his shield at the baddie, and, uh, well, it just clunks to the ground, because it's not his shield, it's actually Jeff's busted pan. Because, you see, Jeff swapped it out for Captain America's shield, which is what he is now shushing down the hill with. And that's it. And, you know, if you've been listening to these unlimited episodes, um, you'll know that I repeat myself a lot. I mean, if you listen to anything I do, you know I repeat myself a lot. So in order to avoid that, I'm going to be very, very quick with my thoughts on uh, the Jeff the Landshark story here. First, pure fun. Pure fun. Second, this has what X-Men Unlimited does not have, and that's heart. (laughs) This feels like a passion project. is as short and as, as cute as it is. It feels... I don't know, it's got that that nebulous quality of heart. 
And, uh, of course, my only complaint about this is I wish it were physical. And if it ever becomes physical, I will buy multiple copies. So, uh, yeah, that's all I'll say about Jeff, is I don't want to go into uh, a full-blown cheerleading rah-rah segment for the little land shark again. You guys know how I feel, so we'll just leave it at that. Uh, and we will hop into the mailbag here. And uh, just like last time, uh, we don't usually do mailbags on Unlimited Day, but since uh, this isn't falling into the regular, you know, Sunday special sort of milieu here, I figure we'll make it just like a regular episode, huh? We're going to start with Evan, who's talking about Way of X number three, or Way of Sex number three. Hmm. Evan says, So I was wrong about Nightcrawler being fake drunk. That was legit. And it didn't even remind me of the early Dawn of X boozing, because it actually made sense. He knows a big secret, but uh, there's no one he can trust with it. And Kurt's intoxicated POV stitches together everything that's come before at the gala before moving on to... The issue I thought was going to ruin Way of X for me. Here we go, free love, casual sex without consequence. Except that's not what we got. What we get is Stacy X challenging Nightcrawler's point of view, not because he's Catholic and that's bad, but because he's not seeing the full ramifications. I don't have to agree with every aspect presented to appreciate the intelligence and perspective and real-world parallels. And sex without consequences? That's definitely not what we get here. And yes, let's, let's talk about this for a little bit here because... And I don't want to get ahead of ourselves here because you're going to raise some of these points in your message, but the way this information is presented to us, the way Spurrier delivers this information to us is almost perfect, right? Um, it, there's use of tact, there's subtlety, there's respect, which it's not something I'm used to in comics. Usually when, uh, I mean, we can talk about old X-Men stories here, the Chuck Austin run, which... Uh, he tried to interject a lot of religious criticism into. And I mean, that ended with, like, priests using poisoned communion wafers. So, I mean, very, very little subtlety, very little tact, very little respect to those of us who might have faith. Because it is possible to get full off the lowest hanging fruit. But here, like you said, Stacy X's issue with Kurt, it's not about his, his faith. It's more about his uh, level of disconnectiveness with the, you know, rank and file of Krakoa. Kurt's been described several times in this book as being one of the kind ones, right? Uh, probably the member of the Quiet Council that most of the rank and file would feel comfortable approaching. But he's still above them in rank, right? He's still part of the council. He's part of the government. He's part of the lawmaking uh, body. And he's actually the one who suggested make more mutants, Right. And of course, we think about that as, uh, you know, a concept in and of itself. And it's like, well, sure, that makes perfect sense. We're trying to create a society or maintain a society. And it's a society that is, uh, I mean, how many times are they are they threatened with near extinction level events? <laughs> it seems like every few years, uh, mutants almost go extinct. So, yes, it stands to reason that you create as many new mutants as possible. But there are ramifications to that, and that's what Stacy X shined a light on here. Now back to Evan, he says, This book has a purpose, and it could feel very heavy-handed in fulfilling it. But instead, it feels natural, almost effortless, as the characters act naturally instead of being jammed in to force a predetermined cast to follow a rigid path. I'm sure Spurrier knows exactly what he's doing. He has to, but we don't see the seams of his work. Now, Lost is a new character, but she feels three-dimensional, not just a collection of needed story beats. And yes, totally, this uh, walks the line effortlessly between delivering 
I mean, could we call it high concept what uh, Spurrier is doing? I, I think in a way we can, right? And just like when we talk about Way of X, I talk about not so much the data we're getting, but the method of delivery that we're getting the data where I, and again, I may be projecting here, but I feel like with Hickman doing high concept, a lot of it is to show us how smart he is and make us feel smarter for having read it. Whereas Spurrier gives us information in a way that it actually teaches us, but in a way where we're not being talked down to. And yes, you feel smarter after you read it, but not because you trick yourself into believing you understand an abstract idea, but you actually have rooted knowledge in real societal concepts, if that makes any sense. I mean, Way of X has been eye-opening in more ways than one, but uh, the way that it respects the reader is, um, is one that I didn't expect when we went into it, and it, it was a wonderful, wonderful surprise. And like I said, I'm going to miss this book, but I'm so happy that Spurrier is going to be sticking around with the new Legionnaire series. I'm, I'm looking forward to that already. Uh, Evan wraps up with, I got a bonus for you. Damien's theory about Mora manipulating Professor X and Magneto to push Mystique too f- so far makes way too much sense. Mystique may not be a power player like Apocalypse and Sinister, but you underestimate her at your own peril. Somebody's got to want her sticking around, and somebody needs her to be angry. And yes, once again, I agree. I- I'm guessing we're going to get a lot of those answers in the coming uh, weeks and months here, but... Yeah, when you read a scene between Mystique, Xavier, and Magneto, it's uncomfortable because it's almost as though uh, Professor X and Magneto are being, like, outwardly aggressive toward her. Not even passive-aggressive, not even kind of dismissive, but, like, they're trying to piss her off. And uh, there has to be a reason as to why they're doing that. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things I'm definitely looking forward to finding out. But thank you so much for writing in about Way of X and facilitating another opportunity for me to talk about Way of X because that's uh, one of my very favorite topics to talk about. Uh, Next up, we're going to go to a letter from Peter McPherson from the Patreon page where he's going to talk a little bit about Namor the Submariner, who is the subject of X-Lapsed Point One over there, the exclusive program. You can hear the first episode of that uh, tacked on to the end of X-Lapsed Episode 250 if you're interested. And Peter says the following... Namor was my first superhero. Namor, Marvel's first and mightiest mutant, issue three by the eternally sunshiny John Byrne, was the first comic I bought, most likely because the cover has Namor crashing into a boardroom on top of a spiky-tailed griffin. I stuck with the series as my monthly book through issue 25 when Jay Lee took over on art, at which point I couldn't tell who was who or what was going on, and I sadly dropped it with issue number 29. Yeah, the Jay Lee stuff was a little little scratchy, wasn't it? I remember not caring for that look at all. Um, it was, you know, different, of course. It was very, very different, but uh, not good different. At least to me at, uh, when was that, 1992-ish probably? 1993, maybe? So I was, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old, and uh, I just found it to be way too muddy, way too dark. And I wasn't reading Namor at the time, but uh, I remember seeing seeing those images in Wizard and seeing them on the racks and just kind of dismissing it, just uh, thumbing my nose at it. Like I said, it was different, but not a good different. Like, a good different to me would have been something like uh, Bill Sienkiewicz, which I wasn't a fan of when I was a kid, but it, it like, got under my skin, you know? It was one of those things that kind of stuck with me and... Uh, even if I didn't care for it aesthetically, I could respect it for, I don't know, for just evoking a tone, 
you know, evoking a mood, evoking fear, instead of just looking messy. You know what I mean? And of course, I've grown to appreciate both Jay Lee and Bill Sienkiewicz, but, uh, you know, it's you know, the eyes of a kid is quite different. Uh, Peter continues, I then switched over to Amazing Spider-Man after having already been buying it for the past few months. Then I saw the third issue of the original Carnage trilogy on a spinner rack and picked it up because Venom. Now, I think I've talked before about my feelings on the McFarlane, post-McFarlane Spider-Man, pre, like in between McFarlane and the Clone Saga uh, Spider-Man, where those books were hot because of McFarlane, even though he wasn't even on them anymore, but uh, those were books that just like, they wouldn't even make it to the racks at the little comic shop I went to. They would uh, they would sell out immediately. So I think as a, you know, a butthurt kid, I automatically just did not want those books. I talked myself into not wanting them back in the day. Of course, I've since gone back and grabbed them, but uh, yeah, at the time, it was just like, no, nah, I don't need that in my life, cause, simply because I couldn't get it, <laughs> you know? Um, now, Peter continues, I've got lessons from my backstory. One, art draws kids in and the writing keeps them. Absolutely, absolutely. If you're trying to attract kids, the art has to be a primary focus. Uh, we talk about, or I talk about, the turn of the century where everything kind of shifted. You know, the, the industry had learned lessons about what happened in the 90s here, devoting all their attention to the hot artists of the day, not really paying quite as much mind to the stories as perhaps they could have and, and should have. But the worm turned a bit too far. You know, the pendulum swung a little too far where... All we were worried about was the writing, and the art, while the art was still good, the focus kind of shifted, and of course there are exceptions to this statement, but it shifted to be more tonally accurate with a more mature story. And like I can think about some of the, you know, Bendis Marvel work, where if you have like a Michael Lark, who's a, a wonderful artist, but I don't think that art is going to necessarily draw a preteen into wanting to read uh, Daredevil. So yeah, the focus had shifted to trying to uh, woo an older audience. And of course, prices were going up as well, so you needed folks with more disposable income. I mean, things just beget themselves, I suppose. But back in the day, yeah, art, 100%. That's what got us in the door, uh, at least as, uh, as, you know, kids. Peter continues, Number two, I may have never gotten into comics if they were only in comic shops. As Amazing Spider-Man, Infinity Gauntlet number two, Dark Hawk number seven, Marvel Comics Presents number 89 were all purchases at other shops that would pique my interest in those characters and make me seek out a comic shop. Absolutely, we can't, uh, we can't minimize how important it was to have newsstand and you know, 7-Eleven racks. Uh, just having comics in more places than just the... Uh, off-the-beaten-path comic shop, where, I mean, you're going to go into a comic shop if you want comics. But, I mean, if you're at a pharmacy already and you see a comic, if you're in the grocery store and you see a comic, if you're getting a Slurpee at 7-Eleven and you see a comic, I mean, they're there. They're in your face. And, I mean, if you're drawn in and you fall in love with a character, I mean, that's that's the incentive you need. That's a gateway. Uh, Peter continues, three... It never mattered to me if the number on the cover was a 1 or a 363. And yes, brother, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> because uh, when I when we all got into comics back in the day, we weren't just buying number 1s. You know, If we wanted Amazing Spider-Man, we weren't getting Amazing Spider-Man Volume 48 number 1. We were getting whatever comic was on the rack. I mean, my first Uncanny X-Men was in the 290s, where I knew there was a lot that I didn't know, and that didn't matter. Because I found myself just falling in love with these characters, and I wanted to know more. I felt like it was worth my time, it was worth my effort, it was worth my money 
to learn more about these characters. So it didn't matter to me if they had no history, if they had 10 years history, 20, 30, 40 years history. I wanted to know more, and I wanted to put in the effort. So it didn't matter what issue we were on. It was a, it was a different world. It certainly was a different world. A four, it helps to have support. Kids got friends, and they ain't got a lot of money in transport. Some of my friends like comics and kept my interest going with theories, discoveries, and rankings. In addition to my allowance, my dad would buy my brother and I a monthly comic. If the price of a comic jumped from 3 to 4 to $5, then that might have been the end of that. That's another, you know, lost bit of comics history where, I mean, we could make, we could have theories, right? We could, I mean, we go right back to the old X-Men here. Who, who is Cable? Who is Cable, right? We don't know who he is. Is he actually the baby that Scott, Scott had sent to the future? Is he somebody else altogether? We had, who's the ex-trader? Where'd Gambit come from? We had all these, these theories, all of these things that we wanted to know more about, and we weren't, we weren't so far up the creator's behinds like we are now, where everything is kind of just out there, right? I think that's one of the things that's really making me excited about this, uh, this current year X-Men run, is that we actually have those questions again. We've got theories that we're making. We, we've got guesses, and we're, we're looking forward to discoveries, and we're connecting dots and following breadcrumbs. And it really reminds me of back in the day. Unfortunately, we are also in a very different time now, very technologically advanced, relatively speaking, where uh, people chase clout. And a lot of folks out there, rather than discussing comics, spoil them under the guise of discussing them. And uh, it kind of takes some of the fun out of it, doesn't it? Peter continues, Once I couldn't find Namor consistently at the grocery store, my dad started driving me to the comic shop 15 to 20 minutes away. That's where I saw all sorts of characters that I'd never heard of. And, you know, the first trip into a comic store is a magical experience. It's like a, something I wish we could bottle, because I don't think kids these days really really have that experience anymore. It's something that is a of a bygone era. I mean, I've talked time and time and time again that... I would have never gone into a comic shop if I wasn't trying to track down ElfQuest back issues. They were a few years out of date. I knew they weren't going to be on a rack somewhere, so I had to go to a comic book store. And, you know, you go in there, and it's, you know, it's like overload. You know, you see so many things you've never seen before. You realize that there's more to comics than what you think there is. You know, uh, there's more to Marvel and DC than Superman, Batman, and Spider-Man. There's just so much out there. So much out there. Uh, Peter wraps up with, Wow, the Submariner memories really hit me fast as a torpedo. I was originally just going to post a single little sentence mentioning that since Namor's wings are usually viewed as pretty silly because they really are pretty silly, that I'm surprised a writer hasn't retconned them that they're actually fins helping him move fast in the water, yet able to be used as wings above sea level. Imperious Rex. Well, Peter, I could not be happier. That you're talking about Namor led to this flood of memories here. I love these kind of stories. I love learning about people's fandom from the start. Because there's so much overlap between uh, folks of our vintage, you know. Uh, these are experiences that some younger fans and younger readers uh, may not have the way we did. And it's I love hearing these things. So thank you so much for writing in. And thank you so much for your support. And now, speaking of support, let's hop into Shoutout City here, where I thank the folks who engaged with my social media stuffs and helped to raise the profile of this little program. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Ed Moore, Walt Neeland, Wayne Burroughs, The Long Box of Darkness, Jeremiah, Chris Bailey, The 21st Century Boys, Dave Schultz, Jason Colby, Joe Crawford, and Billy D. 
Over on Facebook, I want to thank Jesse D. Young, Jeremiah, Billy D., Pat Sampson, Andrew Franklin, and Walt Neeland. And I think I'm, I'm kind of hemming and hawing here. I might, I might try doing Instagram again. Uh, that's, <laughs> it's iffy. So um, I guess be prepared for me to say I'd like to thank no one on Instagram because nobody ever, <laughs> ever uh, engages with my stuff there. But uh, we will play it by ear, and as always, we will hope for the best. Now, since this is the first X-Lapsed episode of the week, we do have a This Week in X segment. Unfortunately, we still don't have anything for X-Men Unlimited. At least not of at the time of this recording. I don't know what's... Uh, I guess this episode's going to be out on Tuesday, so I don't know what came out yesterday. So by now you know what came out, even before I do. So hopefully Marvel will get their stuff together soon enough and start updating that page again so I have something to say about it. Uh, on shelves, we do have some stuff here. We've got Excalibur number 24, all three covers of it. Hellions number 16, all three covers of that. And New Mutants number 22, only two covers there. So, huh, and that's... And I think that's the one of these three books that isn't getting cancelled, so that's odd. Uh, Deadpool, Black, White, and Blood number three of four, for completionist's sake. Three covers there. And finally, uh, something a little strange here. A uh, Marvel's Xavier Institute novel called Triptych by Jalay Johnson, which features Phantom X. And we do have a blurb here. Former super soldier and master thief Phantom X stumbles upon one of his clones, Cluster, which is a disgusting name, stealing priceless artifacts from the Louvre. Outwitted and intrigued, Phantom X decides to beat Cluster at whatever game she's playing. But something is different about these artifacts. They've all been infused with nanotechnology, very similar to that that originally created Phantom X. And they aren't the only ones looking for them. Their other clone, Weapon 13, is on the hunt, too. What happens is cat and mouse fun robbing museums around the world turns into a journey of self-discovery as the trio uncover a far deadlier game. So I, I won't be reading that, but uh, for folks out there who enjoy, you know, books without pictures in it, hey, you could probably do worse than uh, Triptych. That's it for the Week in X, uh, but before we get out of here, I would like to thank my lovely patrons. So thank you to Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Neeland, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse DeYoung, Damian, and Peter McPherson. You're all the best, and your support means the world to me. And now, as I feel my throat closing up from allergies, uh, let's get into the uh, contact information here uh, to close out. Uh, you can find me several different ways if you'd like to get a hold of me. Uh, first, on Twitter, I'm at Ace Comics. You can also shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Lapse voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can also join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And, of course, for the complete audio archives, including some new programs that are coming to the uh, main feed, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and you can find that anywhere you find noise. Finally, there is, of course, the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. Uh, oodles of exclusives over there, and uh, it is still a work in progress, so I'm still uh, playing it by ear. So if anybody has any suggestions, your humble host is all ears. But uh, that's going to do it for today. I would like to thank you all so much for spending some time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. Oh